a series over the past uh, three weeks, and we're going to end it today, um, on how to worship a king. And we've been looking at different ways that worship happens uh, and how it should happen according to what the scripture said about the night Jesus was born. We've looked at everything from clapping our hands and raising our hands. And if that makes you uncomfortable, it gets worse. <laughs> then we looked, uh, Ron, we looked at shouting. That's okay too, right? Then we looked at laying face down on the ground and just laying there. Come on, it's all okay. It's all in the Word. Today I want to answer one last question for us as we get into this. Go, if you will, to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Thank you, Lord. He said, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in those days, the the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have, what? Come to worship him. We saw his star when it rose And we see the whole purpose of the wise men coming was to worship Jesus. They came for a specific reason. And here, if you don't, if you haven't been around for the last few weeks, I'll just uh, remind some of you what that, what that entailed. When the wise men came, they did not, everybody, everybody listen, we watched a fantastic movie this weekend and I'm going, please get it right. Please get it right. Please get it right. They didn't. I was so disappointed. The wise men did not show up in the barn, in the stable when Jesus was in the manger. The wise men didn't show up then. Actually, according to what we see in Scripture, they showed up about two years later. They were already, Mary and Joseph was already in a house by this time. And, 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 and in that house, so... Here, you know, we need to understand the magnitude of that. Two years for one night of worship. They traveled for two years. What in the world is our excuse? On Sunday morning when we drag ourselves to church going, uh-huh. I got to do the Christian thing. And and, and we act like it's so hard and it's so difficult. They traveled two years, Zach, for one night of worship. Zach's sitting back here with a whole bunch of guys that stayed up all night. And they're here for one time of worship. (laughs) Hey, I'm just glad they're here. Jump down to verse 10. Jump down to verse 10 of Matthew 2. He says, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, we looked at those words. That means they got really beside themselves. They got a little crazy with it. Uh, Some of those words even lend themselves to the idea of being a little intoxicated. They said they rejoiced 
exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, see, they weren't at the manger. They were at the house. So Mary and Joseph had already been in the house by this time, Rita. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you got to remember, these were kings. When's the last time you saw a king, a president, and anybody travel alone? See, we got this idea that it's just these three guys snuck into town, you know, snuck out. It wasn't the way it was. These were kings. They came with caravans. They didn't have just a little box of gold and a little box of... Frank, my movie got it wrong the other night too, didn't it? Just, you know, here's this little bag of gold. No, man. You realize that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph left here the next day and went to Egypt and lived for several years. How do you think they lived? They lived on the gold. They lived on the frankincense. They lived on the myrrh. Those were expensive gifts. They had enough to live on. So these kings come in here for one night to worship, to lift their hands, to clap, to shout, to get loud, to fall on their face. Folks, it is time that our worship becomes more than just if the team plays our favorite song. See, we, all we do, we, we, we've, got it, we've got it worked up real good as, as Christians. We've got a nice little uh, ritual work up here. When I hit my favorite song, I'll act this way. But until then, I'm just going to look at these people like they're crazy. And then as soon as that first note hits, we start working it up. Oh, here it comes. They're going to get to the chorus. Oh, man, it's going to be good. They're going to get to my bridge. That's where I really want When it really... Come on, people. Our worship should be a lifestyle. It should be a time when we enter into the throne room realm of God and we begin to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every day we get up, we are reminded that we are in the presence of the King, that we are in the presence of the Almighty, that we are in the presence of the Holy of Holies, the Righteous One, the One who took away all sin and hung it on the cross, the One who set righteousness in our hearts and then placed eternity behind it. Shoo! Worship is not singing. Worship is a life in the realm of God. So I want to look real quick about two or three different types of worship. And I'm not talking about where we lift our hands and all this other good stuff. The first one I want to look at today is reverential worship. Reverential worship. Now, Webster says in the 1828 dictionary about reverence, he says it's feared, it's fear mingled with respect and esteem. See, reverential worship is when we look at God and we realize he is so much bigger than we are. And he has got it all in his hands. And then in that awe, in that type of fear, that awe, fear, we respect and esteem him. He goes on to say, it's proceeding from a, from a just esteem of his perfections, which produces in us an inclination to his service and an unwillingness 
who offend him. <laughs> See, worship, reverential worship should bring us so close to the heart of God that it draws something out of me and I become unwilling to offend. People say, well, all the time, people say all the time. Well, you just give everybody a license to sin. No, if you'll listen close enough, we'll realize you'll, how we're going to get close to the heart of God. And then it's not a license to sin. It's just a flat out unwillingness to offend the one I've come before. It's an unwillingness to go where I've used to go. The things that used to take me away from his presence, I just refuse to do them. But see, this is reverential worship. This is what happens when we come before him in awe and wonder. This is what happens, oof, as, a, as Webster goes on and says, as an act of respect or obedience. It means to bow or to curtsy. As if you entered into the realm of a king. Go to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And what Joshua's response? He fell on his face to the earth and what? Worshipped him. You know who, he's, who, you know who appeared to him, right? This was God himself. It wasn't just an angel. I don't know why we ever taught that was an angel. Because if you ever go through the word and you find out anytime somebody bowed down to worship an angel, they would say, do, 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 don't worship me. Don't worship me. Get up. But here we see that Joshua fell down on his face in reverence. It's a curtsy. It's a bow. He fell on his face and worshiped him and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. You've heard these words before, right? <laughs> You've heard these words many years ago as Moses stood out in the desert and a bush began to burn and the presence of the Lord set a bush on fire but didn't consume it. And when Moses went over to see what was so interesting, there was a voice that came and said, take off your shoes. The place you're standing is on hold. Imagine coming before God with such reverence that anything that we bring in front of him that carries even the dirt of what's not holy, we want to take it off. No matter what that is in my life, if I'm carrying it into God's presence and it's got the dirt of the world on it, but I just want to slide it off without having to be told, Linda, without having to be instructed, but just knowing that the presence of God is so reverential and I'm in so much reverence of him 
that I don't want to carry the dirt. And he says, take your sandals off your, from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Folks, God wants us to understand how much he loves us, but he's looking for people who will show him reverence. There's more to the definition of, of reverence. Webster goes on to say it's akin to veneration. Okay, so what does veneration mean? It means respect mingled with some degree of awe. Awe. You know what that's you know what word starts with awe, right? <laughs> Awful. Most of the time when you see the word awful in the word, it is not bad. It's about worship. When it says the Lord is awful, doesn't mean he's a bad God. That means he deserves full awe. Awful, full of awe. So since respect mingled with some degree of awe, he goes on. Now we're talking about veneration, since that's what reverence is. It's a feeling or a sentiment excited by the dignity and superiority of a person or by the sacredness of his character. Folks, there is a time you need to shout. There is a time you need to dance. There's a time when you need to get before God with the most awe in your heart and you come before him and you're just excited by the sacredness of his character. Man. <laughs> Joshua's greatest, you realize this was right before Joshua and them went around the walls of Jericho. Remember that story? All right. It's funny how Israel's greatest victory to that point, it ended with a shout. Is that not what Joshua told him? When I say shout, shout. But you know where his victory started? On his face. When he came and he saw God standing with his sword drawn, he said, are you for us or against us? You know why God didn't answer that, right? God's for everybody. He said, Nope. I'm just the I'm the I'm the I'm the God of the angel armies here. But the greatest victory Israel saw wasn't because of their shout. It was because one man decided that he saw the awe of God and he fell on his face and he began to worship him. Folks, I think sometimes we think breakthrough comes when I feel a goose bump. Breakthrough comes when I get excited. Breakthrough comes when somebody starts praying in tongues and prophesying over me. Breakthrough comes when I start running around the church and, and rolling around and all that's good, all that's fun. Ain't nothing wrong with any of it, it's all scripture. But sometimes we miss the breakthrough. Because we refuse to get quiet, lay down, fall on our face before him, and just say, I see the awe of my God, and I know what he is capable of, and I know how he loves me, and I know who I serve, and I know that he is going to work out all things. <laughs> Jericho's defeat Ended when the people shouted, but it began 
when Joshua worshiped. Go to Exodus 33. Go to Exodus 33. Verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses said, listen, if your presence isn't going, I ain't going. If your presence doesn't go before me, I'm not going to leave the spot where I'm at. How many times, how much trouble could I have saved myself if I would have just said, I'm not moving until I know God's presence is moving ahead of me? I don't do that all the time, Allie. Sometimes I jump the gun. I get out, it's, it's a good deal, it's a good idea, it's a good thing. And I'm out here and I'm going, where's God's presence at? Oh wait, he's over here doing this, but I'm over here doing this. Man, when are we going to say, God, if your presence don't move first, I'm not moving either. And that's what Moses is saying here. He said, do not bring us up from here. Verse uh, 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. He said, how am I going to know that I have favor? How is anyone going to know that I have favor if you're not, if your presence hasn't gone ahead of me and your presence isn't leading me. And God said, I will do the very thing that you have spoken for you have found favor in my sight that I might know you. Moses knew the secret of moving forward in his life was to wait on the presence of God. That is reverential worship. When it's all nice and quiet, when you just sit down without music sometimes, now, I, now, listen, that's a hard thing for me. I've always got music going. I've always got music going. Always. Very, very few times. That's why God talks to me in the shower. Because I ain't got nowhere to go. I can't get away from him. I can't do it. Oh, I'm sorry. Some of y'all that are new here, these people already knew that. God talks to me in the shower. That's where I hear his voice most. Why? Because I have to pay attention in there because there's nothing else going. Sometimes we just need to get before God and lay down and says, I don't need anybody to pump me up. I don't need somebody to make me excited. God, you're enough for me to stand in awe of you. You're enough. And I won't move from this place until I know your presence is going with me. So how do we offer reverential worship? Here's some good, easy ways to how you can offer reverential worship. First, personal time with God. If you don't spend time with him, you will never get to know him. You didn't get to know your spouse by not spending time with them. I don't know. I've known some people that's... <laughs> but you, when you spend time with people, you get to know them. Why do we not think that our relationship with God is not the same? So how can I start reverential worship? First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to spend some personal time with God. Then, how about some family time with God, families? If you've got kids in here, grandkids in here, mm, 
Family time and worship. Worship together as a family. Hmm. Corporate worship. In the house. Get in the house. This is where we do it. I, I know people don't like this. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. What was, what was the response of the wise men, the king's worship? What was the next thing they did? They fell on their face and then they, they gave. There's something about worship that should spark a giving attitude in us. Tithes and offerings are worship. It's a worship to God. It's showing God that you, are, you, are, you know that he is so full of awe that you trust him enough, even with your money. Even with your money. Thank you, Sandy. I didn't even have to look back. I know who that was clapping. It's how we show we trust him. It's reverence. It's standing in awe. So tithes and offering is, is, is a worship. Participating in praise and worship service. Man, I don't act like you people. Try it sometime. It's scriptural. We've been showing it scriptural for weeks. That's why I've been telling y'all, practice at home. Put some praise and worship on. Lift your hands. Get used to it. But get on your face before God. Participate in praise and worship. And one of the greatest things you can ever do is teach your children to honor and worship our Father. Raise up a child in the way it should go. Raise up a child. Teach your children. So, that's reverential worship where I'm just standing in awe of God. Here's another type of worship I think we need to learn. We need to learn repentant worship. Try this over here. These guys, they didn't like that. We need to learn repentant worship. Everybody say this. It's okay, it's okay. To, repent. to repent. That is to the church. <laughs> Listen, unbelievers, they're not coming to repentance. Come on, y'all got too quiet, I made you nervous. <laughs> they're coming into a brand new birth. They're not coming into repentance. Oh, what is it? Re repent is the word metaneo. It, it gets translated on as metanoia. It means to change your mind. In other words, stop believing the way you've been believing and believe a different way. The only thing that's holding you back from what God has in store for you is the way you're believing about yourself. And in repentant worship, Maggie, that's what we do. We say, God, evidently I'm believing wrong here. I'm believing about myself wrong. I'm seeing myself wrong. I'm seeing you wrong. And so repentance means I am going to change my mind and I'm going to stop thinking of myself that way. I'm going to stop thinking of you that way. I'm going to stop thinking of everything else that way. And I'm going to find out what your word says. And I am going to start thinking like the word. That's what repentant worship is. It's when we decide enough's enough. 
I can't live this way anymore. I can't go on thinking like this. I can't go on believing like this. It's doing nothing but destroying my life. And so I come before you, God, to change my mind. It also means to change one's mind for the better. <laughs> it means to heartily, heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. Every believer, oh, come on with me now. I know we all like to think we're all so holy and I don't do anything wrong and I don't blow it. You're a liar. <laughs> I do too. I'm not calling, I'm not just pointing you out here. Every believer needs to have a time where we understand I'm believing something about myself or my God wrong. And I need to repent because he's better than I believe. He's better than I think he is. He's better than what I've been believing he is. Go to Psalm chapter 51, verse 1. Psalm chapter 51, verse 1. Look at David. Now David, a man after God's own heart, right? Now what the word says about him? He's also a man that took another man's wife and had that man killed. How can he be a man after God's own heart? Because these are the type of prayers he prayed. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is a man after God's heart. He realizes sometimes I blow it. Sometimes I don't make the right decision. Sometimes I believe the wrong things. And because I'm believing the wrong things, I'm acting the wrong ways. Because folks, let me tell you, your actions is just a result of what you believe. It all starts up here. He said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in my inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now, purge me. That means take it all out, God. When's the last time we just sat down before God in reverential worship and repentant worship and said, God, search me. What am I believing that's contrary to you? Where do I need to change my mind about myself? Where do I need to change my mind about you? Where do I need to change my mind Oh, and God, where do I, what, what in my life am I doing because of this belief system that doesn't please you either? And then have the strength enough and the reverence enough to stand up, change your mind, and then change that behavior. There's nothing wrong with it, Perry. And I think sometimes we all need to just we need to find that place. Pastor Ted, we need to find that place just to get down before him. Purge me with hyssop 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. I want to encourage you not only to get into reverential worship with God, but let's start getting into repentant worship where we say, God, what am I believing wrong? Last one. We got reverential worship. We've got repentant worship. Then there's the toughie. You ready? Responsive worship. This is responsibility on your part. Responsive worship means you have to respond to him. Joshua chapter 5, verse 15. Joshua chapter 5, verse 15. We just read this. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And what did Joshua do? And he did so. There was a response to this call to worship. Today, you have heard talking about reverential worship. You've heard talking about repentant worship. Now, here's the key for you. Especially at Christmas time when people start thinking, here in just a week, we're going to be in a whole new year and everybody is going to start got this resolution, and I got this resolution, and I want to do this, and I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to do that. Do you, know what, do you know when most resolutions are broken? By the 12th of January. One and a half weeks is about how long they usually last. Reverence and repentance calls for a response. The Lord told Joshua, You've carried something into a place that is holy. Take it off. And the choice was Joshua's, whether he did it or not. He didn't make him get rid of what he carried in. It carried dirt into a place from a world into a sacred place. He didn't force him to take it off. See, now he walked into another place. He went from reverential worship to a responsive worship real fast. And once we show God that we reverence him, once we show him that we're, we're going to answer this call to repentance, then we have to take off the dirty thing. God wants us to go further than just not sin. He wants us to respond with obedience. Going and not sinning, that's easy. It's easy. But what sometimes is hard when God asks you to do the impossible. And you're like, God, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can get through this. There's no way I can make that happen. And so we sit and we'd rather tell him how bad we can't. And so we don't respond to the direction that he's called. And (laughs) some of you may or may not recognize this name, but Chahan said this, he said, God is asking us to do the ridiculous, and he will do the miraculous. You want to hear that again? Because it's worth it. He said, God is asking us to do the ridiculous, so he can do the miraculous. And that's what responsive worship is. It doesn't matter how ridiculous it looks. It doesn't matter how ridiculous, but we do it. That means packing up everything. 
fighting to get where you're at. Having to hide for how many weeks? A month and something. Had to hide because they were after them. God, what are we going to do? You want to do the ridiculous. Do, the, do something that is so big that it is destined to fail unless God's in it. Do something that is so big it's destined to fail unless God's in it. That is responsive worship. That God, we are going to step out. In 2024, I'm not going to make resolutions. I'm not going to do all this. I'm just going to step out. Give me a direction and I'll go. Tell me what to do and I'll respond. I will do the ridiculous. You do the miraculous. It's not my job to do the miraculous. That's his job. We think we have to make this thing. We think we have to create this thing. No, it's not our job. Our job is just to do what he said, no matter how ridiculous it looks. And then let him be him. And let him do the miraculous in our life. Go to Joshua chapter 6. This is how we worship a king. Joshua 6 verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and out. Because of the people of Israel. And no one went out. And none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua. See I have given Jericho into your... What? Nobody can get in. Nobody can get out. And God says, see, I told you I'd give you the city. (laughs) He's standing outside a locked wall. And God's going, hey, man, look, you've arrived. You're here. You know why? Because God's already been in your future. He's already seen what your ending has come out to be. And the only thing that he's waiting on is your response. He's just waiting on you to respond. He's already been in your future. He's already seen your problem. He already saw Joshua's future. He said, hey, I told you I'd give you the city. No one's getting in. No one's getting out. The doors are locked. Hey, God. (laughs) And the king and the mighty men of valor, you shall march around the city all the men of war going around the city once, thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, and on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. This is silly, God. Do you realize these walls are so big? They have chariot races across the top of them. And God says, see, I told you I'd give you the city. But to get to your destiny, you got to do something silly. I want you to march around. Just stay quiet. Don't say a word. This reminds me of an old movie from the 70s. I won't say it. Yeah, no, I'm not going to. He said, you're going to do something silly. March around seven times. Every day, march around at one time. Just stay quiet. And on day seven, go around this wall seven times. Let the trumpets blow. And when they give you 
a long blast with the ram's horn. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down. How? You see, when you do the ridiculous and God does the miraculous, your next steps are not going to have to stumble. See, we've got this idea that there's big rumble and they went climbing over top of these big rocks. No, it said the wall fell flat. See, when you get into responsive worship and you, where he, when he takes you from this place of response to the doing the ridiculous to him doing the miraculous, you're not going to have to trip over yourself to walk in the destiny that he has called you to walk in. They didn't have to trip over the rubble. They didn't have to trip over rocks. The wall fell flat and they walked into their destiny. And destiny had to have a fight with it. They still had to fight. But man, when you, when you got them up there making fun of you every day and all of a sudden there's no more wall between you and them, that fight's a whole lot easier. I know it looks crazy and the wall will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. When we do the ridiculous, he does the miraculous. So what are our types of worship? There's reverence, there's repentance, and then there's a responsive. Go to Luke. Chapter 2. And this has nothing to do with this message. And there were shepherds. And in the same region, verse 8, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. And the angel says to you, fear not. See, that's going to require a response of worship. When you decide, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I'm not going to live in fear like this anymore. And the angel said, fear not. <clears throat> Why? I'm bringing good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, and suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. Why do we have this idea? Now the movie Dee and I watched the other night did have about 10 angels in the sky. So that was the most I'd ever seen. We got this idea there's these three angels <laughs> that showed up. He said, and with that one angel, back that up. Somebody show Matt how to back up. (laughs) 
Back it up one more, buddy. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude. Just real quick reference. You want to know what that word multitude means? Yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? And it does mean a great number. But I found another definition this week. It says it wasn't just a great number. It says it was the number. You see, you got to catch that. It's the number. In other words, all the angels that had ever been, that resided in the heavens, all of a sudden the realm opened up and they saw into the realm of God and there was angels upon angels. They saw the number of angels and there was a multitude of heavenly hosts <laughs> And they were saying, verse 14, glory to God. Why do you think we sing what we sang today? Every song was for this purpose. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said one to another, let's respond. Let's respond. They said, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Jump to verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. It brought a response. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for who you are and what you are in our lives. We glorify and magnify you. We praise you. Let this Christmas... Bring reverential worship. Let this Christmas bring repentant worship. Let this Christmas bring responsive worship to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.